coming up next on two cops, one donut. Um, and he said, well, and he said, it's, he goes, <clears throat> you know, he goes, you guys are coming in here and, uh, and, and trying to help us. He said, but the fact is, is that, you know, how did, how did the United States, how did you guys gain your independence and, and become free? And I said, you know, well, we had a revolutionary war. And, and he said, well, he goes, um, you built your, you built your country from the ground up. Um, the reality of it is, is that, you know, you, we, we, you're, we're trying to do this from the opposite. We're doing it from the top down. We created a government and then hope that that government can create a country. Um, and I was like, you're, you're right. He said, so he said a yeah. real country, the really foundation is built from the ground up. And so we have to do that, you know, the, the, the right way. And he said, it's just, we have too many foreign fighters and other countries and Iran and everybody else trying to do that for them. All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I'm your host, Eric Levine. Today, I have got me a Florida House of Representatives with me, Mike Giolombardo, correct? Yes, sir. And I just realized that I spelled House of Representatives, or Florida House of Representatives. I forgot the E. Let me, let me fix that so the whole episode doesn't look dumb. There we go. And I'm going to flip us around here, Mike. Look at that technology for the win. Oh, I know. Yeah, we were having some uh, technology issues trying to get this thing going. Lighting issues. Your camera's actually really good when the light's hitting. Oh, well, yeah. listen, you got a better background than I do. I got, like, wires, and, and we're still kind <laughs> We've well, been in the house a year, and we and we, you feel like we're still unpacking, so. Yeah, that's that military lifestyle, baby. <laughs> yeah, you don't really start to unpack until you've been someplace about five years. That's right. That's right. You see my garage. It's just still packed with Just stuff. tons of boxes. <laughs> yeah we still have boxes and yeah so how's it how's although the, we got hit by the hurricane that's what i was gonna and ask then, uh, yeah and then we had to readjust everything and so then i had to go through the boxes to find you know the flashlights and stuff like that that yeah you know we're did, not unpacked yet so any flooding issues over by, by you or you guys do no okay? we did have flooding south uh south of me so like the south end of my district probably a couple of miles in to the city limits of Cape Coral, we had a uh, probably like three feet of water all the way two miles in. So probably five, six feet of water in, in some parts and um, some parts on, on the islands were at anywhere from 12 to 16 feet of water. So it's, yeah, it was pretty significant flooding event. It was a little eerie because they showed some of the marinas and all the boats were sitting on the bottom of the marina and you're like, oh, it's not going to be good. That water's going somewhere. Dang. So, yeah, never seen that before. So, really, yeah, no. Normally, we hear it all the time. Oh, sir, 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 sir. It never happens. And so, you know, they were saying it, and it happened. Yeah, so. I remember watching some of the videos from those surges where it shows like it's like a downtown camera look, and mm -hmm. they show the time lapse, and the water was like at the base of a telephone pole, and the next thing you know, it's over top of the telephone pole. Yeah, that was Fort Myers Beach. I That's remember seeing insane. that. I mean, literally buildings just picked up and moved. Yeah. A lot of those buildings were older, uh, but, I mean, they just picked up and, and went. I mean, That's... so, 
we're uh, we're we're rebuilding. We kind of came out of it faster than I think you know we would have been years back. So yeah, I think we're we're getting faster and faster and faster on um, trying to get things back to at least to normal. Right, it's still going to take a while for normal, especially the beaches and some of the islands. But uh, but we're 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 working towards that. So God, I'm yeah. I love Florida. I got family in Clearwater, um, family close to Destin. I can't remember the name of the city. It's a military town. Um, uh, but they, I just, I, it's not worth the risk for me. I, I'm too scared of the you guys have hurricanes in Texas too. Yeah. But Texas is so big. It takes like oh. 16 hours to drive across. So where those yeah, hurricanes yeah. are, we, we get a light rain by the time it gets to where I'm at. Well, but where you're at, you get to all the tornadoes. Yes, those also scare me. But you guys get tornadoes and hurricanes, so I got to take the lesser of the two evils. <laughs> but yeah, I love Florida, man. I've uh, had a good time out there. Um, I really like a, a Saint August Augustine. Is that what it's called? Saint Augustine. Oh man, yeah. it's a nice area. Yeah, that was that was real pretty. Um, I, I just like I'm a history buff. I like the old school learning all the stuff and they've got museums and educational things all around. Um, I like hearing about the, the, the naval attacks and stuff oh, and yeah. showing um, the, the fortresses and whatnot. I think that's really cool. And it's, it's yeah. amazing how much that stuff's been preserved considering it's getting beat down by salt air all the time. Yeah. And we have a lot of uh, like, we just generally have a lot of military installations, a lot of combatant commands. We have, so central command, we have SOCOM, CENTCOM, we have, you know, we have, uh, Pensacola, um, you know, Lackland air base. We have, you know, yep. Um, Dill and Tampa. So we have a lot of different of those entities. And then we have the history space. We have the space, uh, SpaceX or uh, oh, not yeah, SpaceX, yeah. But, uh, space floor would launch from here. Yep. But yeah, we yeah. got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So, it's cool. It's an awesome state, man. It's probably why it's the, that's uh, a, I think it's the number one place uh, where people are moving to right now. I think it's Florida's number one. We stayed open, man. We're free. Yeah. I think Texas is number two. Um, <laughs> but um, let's get into it, sir. Um, you've, you've obviously, there's a, a trend of the people that I have on my show. I always try to get people that either have a life of service or um, come from a background of uh, having disservice from from whether it be police or the system or whatever. So I try to get both sides of the house when it comes to that to keep it even keel. Um, you you chose the path of a life of service uh, through military, through um, politics and, and stuff like that. So where are you from? Um, where'd you grow up? What'd you do? How did you get into that life? So I grew up, for the most part, in the city where I represent, the area that I represent, uh, Cape Coral. I was born in Wisconsin, but I don't really remember it. Um, but <clears throat> So I lived in Florida most of my life, elementary, most of elementary school, um, all the way through high school. Even I went to Florida Atlantic University for, for college. Um, and I always just decided, my, my dad served in the Army. My uncle served in the army. My grandfather served in the air force. Or the, at the time, it was actually the uh, the army air uh, air guard, or so or the army air uh, air corps. Corps. Yep. But 
Yeah. So I, so I've always just gravitated towards that. So I already knew when I was graduating from college that I'm like probably going to go in the military. So I joined in 2007 and during the surge, I, as soon as I enlisted, I immediately got, I went to training and then got sent straight to Iraq. So did some time out there. Um, and then came back. I met my wife before that. So I tell everybody, um, my wife and I, so we met, we met, got engaged and got married within like seven months, eight months. Oh, dang. And yeah. Yeah. Now we've, now we're, we've been together. We've been together for 13 years. Um, and the first like three or four years of our marriage though, I was gone with the military. So she was, she stayed here in Florida <clears throat> and then, um, I ended up getting out, taking a break in service, um, and then going back in the national guard. So today I'm still in, I'm a, a CW two in the, in the Florida national guard. So I do my one week in a month now, two weeks a year. Okay. So when you first decided to do military, you said you had, you know, your uncles and stuff were military. Was that the influence? What was the, what was the draw? I don't know. It was just something that I wanted to do, something that I knew that I wanted to do. And I, you know, my, like I said, my dad served. It was kind of a, you know, proud of my country, love my country, you know? Yeah. It was just something that we all did. My uncle served in Vietnam, the 173rd Airborne. Uh, my dad served in Korea, but not during the Korean War after that. That's how we met my mom. So, <clears throat> okay. But uh, yeah, so I'm half Korean. I, I've, I've had this discussion several times on here and I, I think um, there's a common theme when we have family members. Cause I too, I had, I had family in the military. I had police in my family I had firefighters. Uh, the thing that I noticed, and I think subconsciously is a reason why I joined um, and chose the path that I chose is because when we'd have family reunions or anything like that, who did everybody flock around? during family reunions it was always the same guys or girls it's the, the cops the the ambulance the the military guys it, that every time like they held a higher reverence in 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 the family by proxy of what they do for a living or what they have done through service and i guess i never realized that until having these types of discussions like that was a major reason well, well I, I didn't even realize that until you just mentioned it yeah like, <clears throat> i wanted I wanted that I wanted my family to respect me or earn their respect the same way that I saw through everybody that flocks around during these family get togethers. And it was that it was always their service because everybody wants the stories. They want to, they went, Oh my God, what'd you do while you were there? What, you know, like what, what'd you do at the fire? You know, what happened over here? You know, it's just, everybody wants to know about that stuff. And I guess that was the, the draw. And that's probably why we've had, police, firefighter, military, television shows since the dawn of television. Like, they don't go away. Yeah. Like, the topic never gets boring, even though it's it's really the same old shit just rewritten, you know? We just don't get tired of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the, the same leadership styles, the same basic scenarios happen. They just happen nowadays with different technology. Yep. Um, and just, you know, but it, it's very similar like the 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 camaraderie that you have in the military yeah it's the same camaraderie that was in existence you know world war ii when 
uh, all the way back to, you know, the beginning, still that same camaraderie where, uh, and it's, it just doesn't go away. So yeah. I think that's kind of what kept me around to be honest. Um, Cause I've kind of gotten out. I've couldn't, you know, I've had all the opportunities. And so when you I first got in, what was your job? Like what, what did you sign up to be? So I was with fourth infantry division out of uh, Colorado Springs. So I got stationed there right away. Went off to NTC over in California and then just almost immediately got sent over to, to Iraq. And so I did interrogations um, and then like key leader engagements, things like that for the infantry unit. So I was attached to an infantry regiment and we'd go out on patrols, we'd go do raids, we'd go do all that stuff. And I was more on the, the interrogation side. So, so <clears> did you have to know how to speak another language? They want you to, and you, and you go to school for it. You know, the, the fact is, is that you'll never, unless you're a hundred percent fluent, unless you've lived it, unless you, you're never going to speak a native language unless you're really from there i mean they're always going to know like you're it's just it's very difficult especially arabic uh some of those languages um and they have their own slang every 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 area has its own dialect right so it's very difficult to learn that but i did learn um some arabic before i went yeah and you know and some spanish and things like that but um for my for my job but you just you'll never be fluent you always have to have an interpreter so, so what, i worked with a lot of interpreters what was the training like like you know you, you walk into a room with somebody sitting in a chair and just start practicing like, yeah. what, how did it work yeah i mean yeah you do you have conversations you, you 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 learn about you know mannerisms body language things like that um but yeah it's it's pretty i mean it's it's no different. You're, you're a, a sergeant and uh, uh, you're a police officer. So you, and you've done them. So it's no different than any other interview. It's the same, same principle. We have rules. Yeah. You know, it just, it's the same stuff. So, okay. So, it, yeah. so while you were over there, people are going to want to know, like, were you guys using like, you know, the, the secret serums and stuff like that, injecting people. <laughs> I try to tell people like, that's, that's, not, that's all, that's all movie that's stuff. Movie that's, stuff. That's yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, the, the best actually time that I had, the best part of my job was I got to meet a lot of like key leaders and military commanders. And we get to talk about, you know, the history of, of, of where they're at and what they need help with. And, that was the most interesting part because you get to meet with religious leaders to military commanders. Yeah. Um, and you can get to build coalitions and you work with them and find out what their goals are and, <clears throat> and you help bridge that gap a little bit. And that's, that was probably the best part of, of my job is being able to, to meet with all those folks and break bread with them a lot. Cause they do always do it around a meal. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was the best part about it. So winning the hearts and minds type uh, idea, right? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, and you and you build strategy and you kind of communicate back to, you know, because you're in the military, you always have a commander, uh, commander's intent, right? What the, what your command is looking for, and then they have a commander's intent. and they have, So the it all has to line up and everybody has the same mission, same goal. So I'm just a piece, right? When you're over there and you're meeting with these, religious leaders or you're meeting with military commanders, you know, your goal is to 
do X in this community and figure out how you can bridge that gap and work with them and create a relationship. So when they, you go on a, on a raid or you go and have to detain somebody, they're right there with you. So building that is just, it's not as easy as one would think uh, because you got, it's a lot of trust. Yeah. Yes. A lot of time, especially in some of those other cultures where they don't, they trust nobody. I mean, they, they come off the Iran Iraq war They, you know, they've had the British there. They've had, you know, it's, they've been at war for, you know, thousands of years. And, <clears throat> and so it's, they just don't trust anybody outside. So being able to work with them, build that trust, and then being able to uh, kind of execute on those relationships. If you're law enforcement, stop and listen to me right now. If you're a police department that does not have an LPR system, Insight is offering the first 10 agencies, that means one agency apiece, gets one camera for free. You have to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. You heard me right. If you're a police agency that does not have an LPR system yet, or does have an LPR system, and you're not happy with the product you have, Insight is offering you a free camera. No strings attached, and they will install it. I have 10 to give out. Tell them two cops, one donut sent you, or reach out to me, and I will get you in contact. If you're a business owner or an HOA, please stop and listen to me right now. If you're just listening to the audio, do yourself a favor and watch the YouTube version of this episode to get a visual of what I'm about to tell you. I want to tell you guys about Insight LPR. It's a license plate reader. If your agency, community, or business is looking to invest in LPR to help solve and deter crime or to make your community safer, Insight LPR has my vote of confidence. I've met with their team. They know their LPRs, guys. Uh, They're the real deal. They bring over 75 years of collective experience to building LPR cameras and the software that supports communities across the country. The other thing I really like about this team is how much they listen to law enforcement. They understand the importance of working together with law enforcement and getting their input as they build and innovate products and their service to match the needs of law enforcement. In other words, when I complain or have suggestions to make their damn camera better, they actually do it. The Insight LPR team is extremely passionate and takes pride in their product development, which makes their cameras some of the most durable cameras in the market. For the gear nerds out there with that means is this stuff's made of military grade aluminum and is nitrogen purged whatever that means this design makes the cameras rugged and able to withstand harsh weather elements here's the big selling point for me their nighttime scan accuracy is higher than most of the leading competitors in my opinion this is what sets them apart as we know the majority of crimes occur at night so it's critical to have high scan accuracy at night insights cameras check the box with the nighttime plate read accuracy greater than 96 percent 96 percent guys that's pretty freaking high. If your community is looking to invest in LPR technology, reach out to one of their experts today or reach out to me. Tell them two cops, one donut sent you. It was the best part. It was the most challenging too. I mean, interrogation, you detain somebody from sticking a bomb in the ground and you know, you, they're the low guy on the totem pole most of the time, right? They're not. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's exactly like dope deals it, 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 when because it really is when yeah. you look at the structure of how dope is dealt and all that stuff you you're usually chipping away at the bottom rung and then that leads you to the next high guy and then that leads you to eventually you get your way up if you're going at it from the angle that you did yeah. versus being undercover and trying to infiltrate that's different that's a um, little different game yeah, it's a different game. But from what we're talking about, you know, you get this. You now you got to try to flip them, you know, try to try to see if you can get that kid uh, or whoever it was burying the bomb, 
to work for you. And then you got to. And most of the time they don't know anything other yeah. than what they're doing. Right. Yes. They were paid yeah. or they were whatever to do this and they yeah. don't know where, you know, so it's, I don't know. It's just, you know, those interrogations were very mundane. And, you know. Yeah. But it's honestly, uh, cause I'm still a detective. Like that's my, that's my favorite part of my job is doing, um, genuine interrogations versus doing interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I interview a witness, I interview a victim. Um, that's, that's fine and all. And sometimes when you're interviewing a witness or a victim, you realize that they're, um, a part of a crime themselves and you realize there's more to the story and that's fun and all. But I like when I know I've got all my ducks in a row and now it's just time to break this person down to the point that they admit what they did, whether they fully admit it, like just outright or they admit it by proxy or they at least put themselves in the area during the time, you know, and I'm putting all these little, little facts together where I can articulate later on. Well, he was said he was here, even though he's claiming he had nothing to do with this. And he's, his phone shows that he was in this area during the time of the crime. Like you start putting all these pieces together. That's fun, man. I love it. And, and, and you, you really learn how to start being a wordsmith. You learn how to recognize an approach isn't working when you're like, let me try this way. Let me, you know, let me come in and be like, you know, mad dog Mattis at first. Let me, let me try to just scare him into, yeah. into admitting. And then, well, it ain't working. All right. Let, let me be the nice cop now. Let me see if that works. You also learn a lot about people, right? You learn a lot yeah. about what, what people are really thinking and, um, and yeah. what makes, you know, somebody tick. So. So this show is about bridging gaps with the community and stuff like that. I think your perspective on learning how to go into a completely different country culture and learning how to break down the barriers of language, um, cultural differences and stuff like that. I mean, I, I didn't have personal experience over there. Lots of pre-training if I were to get deployed, um, but it never happened. From my understanding, they're based on kind of that old school. There's an elder, uh, or, oh, yeah. or a, uh, yeah. So, and, and they, like you said, they actually legitimately break bread and, and have tea, uh, while you guys discuss with all the, the prominent, uh, community leaders. Is that, is that how it starts out? Yeah. I mean, you're, if you're going on, you know, patrol and you come across a city or a small village, um, you go meet with either some of them are like, like cities like we would have here. They have a mayor or governor, they have a governor or whatever they have. You meet with them or uh, if it's a smaller village, then it's, you meet with the village elder or their imam uh, in Iraq's case, right? Their religious leader. Um, and they usually have like a tea room or like chai room and you yep. sit in there and you have a conversation with them and you talk to them about, you know, <clears throat> the area and, and sometimes they're part of the problem. Sometimes they're part of the solution. Right. And how did you get that problem, conversation started? How did you like, are you just knocking on doors? Like how, I'm just curious how that. Yeah. Happened. A lot of times it's just knocking on doors. You go into an area and you know, if, a lot of times they'll have little like areas set up where you can like little bazaars, things like that. And you just, spend a little capital in their, in their village. You spend a little bit of money and buying some things, maybe buy food or something like that. And um, that starts kind of bridging that, that gap, you spend money in their community. Um, yeah. 
you know, and, and start talking to that, start talking to the members of the community. Usually if you start talking to somebody and um, they're going to not, they don't really say a whole lot until the elder comes out and has the first conversation. So, okay. So yeah. when, when you were, when you're having the serious talks and you're trying to tell them like, look, this is what we're trying to do. Um, here's the, here's the problems and, and stuff like that. And we're trying to, we're trying to help with that. So that's you trying to show them your goal, your mission and build that trust. What were their concerns? Like the ones that weren't the bad guy that were legitimately trying to. It's always, uh, you know, security roads. They, I mean, like if you think about it here, like in the United States on the local level where people are like, oh man, we got potholes in our roads. We got, I mean, they're thinking the same thing. It's just, they got they're like, our roads are all mud. <laughs> you know, we want our roads oh. built. Um, okay. it's, it's, so they were really, looking for like structural improvement. Oh, a lot of them school city growth. Oh yeah. They want stuff like that. And that's not really my lane, but we can always help meet cause we do have a civil affairs, you know, folks that help, but what, uh, you know, people say like, you know, you're used to be an interrogator. You must be really good at talking. I'm better at listening. And that's what people don't like realize is that it's just less, less talking, more listening. Yeah. Um, because you can sit there and talk forever or sound maybe good or, you know, sound very smooth. But at the end of the day, if you're the only one talking, then <clears throat> that's a problem. So yeah, yeah. Um, just being able to listen yeah. to them. Most people just want to be listened to. Like they just want yeah. somebody to, to hear them. Um, yeah. And so that's what, when we would do over there, we would sit down and I can't promise anything because I'm not, you know, I don't have, fiduciary authority over, you know, tons of money to write a check. Hey, here you go. Here, build a road. Um, but we can at least get them into the right person and, and help them out and, and, and talk to them about the security concerns. And, and if they can help us make sure that the, uh, the bad guys are not in the area, then that's what we do. Yeah. Now, do you have any um, like success stories or anything like that, that you can remember from over there? Or did you not get to do the follow through? As much I, I mean, as the... you do. It's it's always a long game. I was I was over there for about a year. I mean, it's a long. It's, it ends up being a long game, um, and especially in that world because you, you know, you, you know this. You're in the military. You know, you're on deployment cycles. So you come in. Somebody else is in some cases. Somebody else has already developed a relationship, and then you rip out with another infantry unit. And that infantry unit, you're literally going side by side, riding along on, on, on missions with them. And they're introducing you to some of the, the village, village elders. Um, sometimes the relationships weren't good, um, weren't, you know, and you got to kind of mend them and figure out how to, um, or some of them were like key relationships that they just never developed. So you got to develop new ones. Um, yeah. Or sometimes they were just amazing and you, it's hard for you to replicate what they, what they were doing. Um, cause they did such a great job. Um, and we had that case with one of the SF units that we were working with. Um, they got to be specific cause I'm SF, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not no, SF. like one of the green brain units. <laughs> they, um, not security forces. Sorry, no, boys. No, 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 no. Forces. <laughs> at ease. So yeah, they did a great job at just building some of the relationships and we'd come in and, and because they are, they have a little bit more leeway in certain being able to provide support especially since civil affairs fell underneath special operations 
um, it would have, it was just much easier for them to 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 broker that. But um, we were still able to kind of you know maintain the relationships. But but no, it, it was yeah, it was good. I mean, that was like I said that I learned the most. I sat down. I used to sit down with a Iraqi general, and he would just tell me. He would say, <clears throat> you know. Um, you know, he goes, we see this all the time because you're going to come here and then leave. And then we're going to have a, you know, then the enemy is going to try to take a stronghold and then you're going to have to come back. And it was like, and it, when we had to go back because of ISIS and, um, because of the situation in Iraq was just getting worse. I was like, man, was he right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. He said, we'll be at war for a long time and I'm going to really, you know, it's not going to end anytime soon. And, um, and I remember, and it's not really a success story, but I remember <clears throat> being in there and there was a couple of guys from the state department that came in just to introduce themselves and they were talking with them. And, and I sat back and just sat there and listened and they were, these were, I mean, they had to have been younger than me. I mean, they looked really young. And they were talking to him about the history of Iraq and all this stuff. And he just said, get out. He's like, you're telling me about my history. You're like 25 years old. You just, yeah. what life experience do you have? Yeah. Exactly. You know, this is your first job. Congratulations. You passed the test, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he, and he looked at me and I said, Hey, listen, I don't have any authority over these, over other folks coming in. Um, and he said, well, and he said, it's, he goes, <clears throat> You know, he goes, you guys are coming in here and, uh, and and trying to help us. He said, but the fact is, is that, you know, how did how did the United States, how did you guys gain your independence and, and become free? And I said, you know, well, we had a revolutionary war. And, and he said, well, he goes, um, you built your you built your country from the ground up. Um, the reality of it is, is that, you know, you we we you're we're trying to do this from the opposite we're doing it from the top down we created a government and then hope that that government can create a country um and i was like you're you're right he said so he said a yeah. real country the really foundation is built from the ground up and so we have to do that you know the, the the right way and he said it's just we have too many foreign fighters and other countries and iran and everybody else trying to do that for them. <clears throat> he says, we have to do it for ourselves. You know, you know, most Iraq, he said, most Iraqis just want to provide for their families. Um, no different than most people in the States. So yeah. I, I thought that that was really interesting and <clears throat> um, uh, a perspective that most people don't, don't get, but, uh, and, and I was able to gain that. And he, and he's been around for a long time. He was, you know, yeah. Significantly that, that older than I was. That's something to, to, to point out. It's a good um, segue, I guess, or transitional uh, thing that transfers over to police. It transfers over to, to anything. When you think about you've got uh, a rookie cop that's 21 years old. Let's say he's at the, 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 bare, the minimum age of being a cop uh, everywhere. I, think, I don't think anybody hires cops at 18 anymore. That no, used to be a thing. I don't think so. But, yeah, but um, I don't think that's a thing anymore. But anyway, let's say you are 21 and you are, you're green as green gets. You've got zero life experience. Now you're showing up to a domestic of, you know, uh, let's say a 40-year-old couple. You know, that's that's middle of the row. We're not even talking, you know, old, old age, but um, as I'm turning 40 in February. Um, 
Congratulations. You're, yeah, thanks. And you're uh, you're expecting this 21 year old to have some sort of uh, ability to resonate with you on, on on talking to you about solving your life problems in in the 15 minutes that he's been there and met you. Yeah. Like, how do you gain? You know, that, that that's a hard thing to do. And think about those two poor state kids that <laughs> that came out there. And yeah, they're probably like 25 in, or, you know, or yeah. like that. And they were just. And and I bet they thought that they could solve the world's issues at that oh, time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're you probably know, ambitious. You know. And they were like, we, you know, we're going to come in and. I And I would oh, love. Yeah. I would love to do thing. your job now. I would love to come in with my life experience now and my ability uh, that I've learned how to talk to people, how to mediate um, between conflict. Because in, you know, 18 years, 17, 18 years of police experience, I have really learned a lot of what not to say, what not to do, yeah. how to how to mediate so much better. If I could take the skill set that I had now and give it to me when I was 21, holy shit, it would have been amazing. But yeah. No, everything happens for a reason. Cause I'll, I'll tell you, I, when I, before going over there, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't go in the military at 18. I went to college first, but you know, I, <clears throat> you transfer, you transition and you learn all that, you learn all that. And then it brings me to what I do now. And you're like, it, it I always tell people less is more, right? Sometimes you yeah. just sit back and listen um, and then make a decision on some people far too many people either try to shoot talk too fast or talk too much or um now it's the keyboard right we have keyboard warriors that are sitting there on online all day thinking that they they know everything and it's you know they just just stop you know yeah 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 Yeah, it's a it's interesting though that we you know and, and this is still for the military uh, we're sending kids over and it's no, no slam on, I mean, I know they're adults technically, but as far as experience goes, very inexperienced with life in general, mm-hmm. some, you know, there's always outliers, but, and you're having them talk to elders, you know, that have grown up in a war torn country, their entire existence, their, their parents' existence. And, you know, it's generational Yeah, and, and now we're, it's kind of insulting. When you send a it kid is. over. It, and that's how he took it. He he was like, oh, so I'm not good enough to have, you know, somebody much higher up to have a conversation with me. And, and right. I was like, well, hey, oh, wait about me. I'm still pretty young. And he's like, no, nah. yeah. it's like, you're, you're, it's more of a, mil- you're, you know, we're talking more militarily stuff. So it was a little bit different, but you know, he's like, these kids are coming in here to try to tell me on how to get rid of the insurgency and the strategy when, he goes, they've read, been reading it in books and yeah. been reading what we've been doing in books, you know, our history in books, they don't know anything about. <clears throat> and so that, that yeah. becomes the, you know, and, and I think, and I don't know if this is a common practice within like the state department, but usually if you're brand new coming in as a foreign officer or whatever, you, you get those type of posts, right? The post, not, you're not going to go to the Vatican right away, you know, you're right. not, you're, they're going to, they're going to send you to, to, to like, you know, uh, a country that has maybe less economic value or yeah whatever. So I don't know if that's common practice where you get those type of posts first, but um, it yeah. appeared that way in this situation. I, I don't know. I didn't know who they, those two were never seen them in my life. Um, 
but they they introduced themselves as employees of the state department and they were gonna and, he, and i'm just sitting off in the corner you know because i'm still a you know young soldier yeah, <laughs> and they, yeah. And i just saw him kick him out he's like leave that's funny yeah now i imagine i i you as i i've got to know you personally you're a problem solver like that's part of your your drive i when you were doing this at any time did you step back and go okay i see how we're doing this and it's flawed one because you we're trying to talk to elders in in a in a cultural setting where respect is is shown and given by talking to these higher level people, older people. Um, and here we are, we keep sending basically kind of an insulting message. Did you up channel that and tell them like, this could be a better approach if we had, you know, I'm not saying send a general in there by any means, but somebody with longer military experience, older look, um, any of that, were you guys up channeling that and was the military adjusting? Oh yeah, definitely. So we would, you know, we had these mid teams and I remember uh, some of the situations that we've had that you, you, you just, they want to speak to somebody who has a little bit more, you know, brass on them. Right. A little yeah. more gray hairs. And so then I would, then you listen, I'm not a, you can't be proud, right. You're, you're, you have mission first. So in some cases I would just be the, I'm like, uh, I'm going to be this guy's note taker and you're oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And 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 the and the person with brass may not always know all the questions to ask, but we will, you know, we would help him. Like, hey, we want to find out these type of things, you know. We want to see if he can help us with X mission. Um, then we would go and, you know, it was just a, you know, we, you'd have a, you'd be the note taker for a general, like you just yeah. or or a major or somebody, right? Um, yeah. And then let them have the communication because they want to talk to in those in those cultures. They want. Why do you think in Afghanistan so many folks had beards and, you know, you see it all over TV and like it, it, they had beards. Right. Because that showed a sign of maturity. And, yeah, um, you know, you're yeah. just trying to, you know, kind of going over there. Baby yeah, you're, trying to, you're trying to build rapport with them and you're not going to build rapport with a nice, clean baby face shaved um going into a village elder uh home or wherever is village and, and trying to have a conversation with it just doesn't work that way yeah that's uh it's interesting man i like i like uh discussing i mean because it it, tra- it transfers over here like i go into a community um low socioeconomical um standing uh high crime area and the, the discussions don't start much different. You go to a community leader area. You ask them what the issues are that they're having, what their concerns are, and you listen. Ask them what their issues are with the police. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same road. Um, just, you know, slightly different cultural norms and whatnot. But um, that's that's the, the formula. You go in there. And it works, um, especially when you speak the same language and you can uh, resonate with the same background and stuff like that. Um, I win a lot of people over in in my area just by telling them I'm from Flint. They're like, Flint, Michigan? Like the water? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, damn. Like, it, like as bad as as bad as it is where they're at, they're like, they feel bad for me. 
<laughs> but it gives me it gives I me that, that instant too. respect. Yeah. <laughs> so I tell them that and, um, you know, instantly hit it off. And then the real conversations can start from there because they know I'm coming from a place that's got the same issues is that they're that they're going to discuss. And uh, we have that common ground. But I just like hearing you talk about you went to a completely foreign country, didn't speak the language, but you're able to break down the issues, communicate effectively and and get some some sort of common ground and progress. And that is what it's all about. And um, so there, there's like, a couple of principles that I've that I've learned, I think, um, that I think are genuinely correct, that it, it, most cultures or most countries or wherever you go. One, they, they love to, they love to hear somebody listen, right? They want somebody to listen to them no matter what. Um, and I think the second thing is that they like people like them, right? So if you can yeah. find rapport or some sort of common ground with anybody, um, and then listen, I mean, you're already halfway there. Um, <clears throat> and that's just how it has to, I mean, that doesn't just translate into the military or law enforcement. That's in everything you do. Like I used to sell copy machines. Um, <laughs> I used to go building to building in, yeah. in Miami and sold copy machines. And I don't, in some of the areas of Miami, most of the people spoke Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. So, you know, you go in there and you have a, you know, you have a card and you're like, I got a brochure, you know, and you're, trying to sell to somebody that don't this doesn't speak language barrier yeah language at all you know doesn't speak the same language you can't speak with you know you don't understand them or you maybe understand a couple of words here and there um you have to figure out a way to build rapport and uh yeah so that's no different okay. yeah it's every job politics um yeah software now, sales that's all the same so now while you were over there, you, you, you obviously you were, you, you were basically being a community, um, what we would call a neighborhood patrol officer where we're at, like you're trying to be that liaison between the military and the community that you are, your missions at. So, mm -hmm. and, and figuring out what their, their problems are, what, what they're doing well, what they're doing bad, what they need help with all that stuff. So I get that side of the house. Now the other side of the house that I'm kind of interested in is when you did get bad guys. Mm -hmm. Now, is it you? You're you're posted up near a village or whatever. You guys, you do your, you know, you go you go out to them, and then somehow uh, a bad guy gets caught by patrol or something and brings them to you. How does that? How did that work for you? I mean, we would go on just no different than any other type of raid, and we'd go on raids. After okay. Individuals, yeah, it wouldn't. Normally, we do when we do patrols. It's either a presence patrol or something. Just a, um, and that's when we start. That's when we have the the, the key leader engagements. But we did do raids quite often. Okay. Um, so you would be attached to units. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, were you always attached to like your local infantry unit? Yeah. Infantry unit. Okay, you weren't attached to like any of the, the real SF and all that stuff when they would go knock down doors. Uh, no, not really. Okay. And, um, in that, uh, so you get, let's say you get a, a target that you're looking for or whatever. How does that, how does that start out for you? How does the whole process start? You know what? It's really no f different function than just asking questions like you would do when you guys go and, and, and do, you know, raid out somebody's home. 
um, you you go in and you you get the the subject or the the you know, detainee, um, yeah. and you just ask them direct questions. You know, at that yeah. point, you know you're it's it's not it's a it's we call it tactical questioning, and it's just something mm-hmm. that anybody can really do. Um, you know, we're just a little bit more. I'm just a little bit more. I'm in an infantry unit. I'm just a little bit more trained on that side of it. So, um, yep. So we just do basic tactical questioning. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're a rifleman with a little bit of a nerd side to you, basically. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. I like it. Okay. All right. So you do that. You got your service. So you did your, was that active duty? That was active duty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you did active duty. And you transition transition back home. What was the what were years were this? Uh, two thousand and ten through two thousand like twelve. So I spent I'm trying to think here. It's like three years three years active, had a break, got out, uh, then I went to the guard. Uh, okay probably about a year and a half after um, I was with 20th special forces group for about a year. And then I switched to just a unit, a linguist unit. So now you're doing the, were you doing the same thing for, for both or. Yeah. Same. I'm same job title. um, Same job title. But I was just with another, just with the local Florida National Guard unit. And then um, I switched over to uh, just a linguist unit. And okay. Enemy. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you do that. And are you, you're, you're a reservist. So you, you're working now. You're working back in the States. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we don't really, I mean, we have one week in a month, two weeks here. It's no different than the reserves. We do training. Right. It's, um, you know, we'll have to go and meet all the requirements that the, that the regular yeah. army does, but we're just on the guard level. We get activated for all the storms and then the, like the pandemic, we got activated. Um, all so, humanitarian mi- missions. Yeah. Like, like state that. missions. Yeah. We have like state active duty status where it's completely separate from the, from the federal um, side, but we'll do like, we set up like the first sites in Florida for testing for when COVID kind of kicked off. Um, we did that and then we, all the hurricanes, we manage all, like, we are like the liaison at all the emergency operation centers and we go to like these point of distribution sites and, and just to, you know, kind of what you see on TV, you know, at the National yeah. Guard when it comes to um, any type of natural disaster or disaster activation. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So after that, you, where were you, where'd you start working once you transitioned out of that? Did you go right into the house or? No, 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 no. I, man, I've worked in, I've worked healthcare. I worked for DHS. Um, I've worked, I did, I was part of a secure flight program with DHS. I did, worked in a healthcare for a while. Um, I was working when I got out though, initially I had, um, I had a hard time getting a job because I got out and the recession was still kind of happening. So in the military, you're kind of insulated um, from anything that happens outside because unless somebody tells you or talks to you about it because you're overseas, 
you're you know on a military installation especially during wartime everything is business as usual um nothing changes you're still getting a paycheck uh, yeah. even the communities around these bases do very well regardless um of, of recession or not so um when i got back you know my wife did an amazing job of of not trying to bog me down with any any recession issues or anything that things that are happening stateside because she didn't want me to worry about it and then when i got finally got out and got home um it was like you know there's no jobs i mean i have a master's degree a clearance have all these things i could not get a job i ended up working in a factory uh for about a year um and putting together cardboard boxes all day uh Dang. yeah did that for a year that was like 10 years ago maybe but yeah. uh yeah 2011 so uh, did that for for a year and then i picked up the dhs gig uh as a contractor um went up okay. to dc did that for a year so it was a one-year contract um and then came back home and uh yeah so dang okay yeah now yeah, i own it, now i am my uh, software company um okay so I how how the hell do you go from healthcare contract work to i'm gonna design and help with software oh man so so there's a lot that goes into it so i got i got out did all that um i got back i got myself in, involved in politics just as like a volunteer type of thing and then i started a total intelligence group which is a company that i still own and we we do a lot of like integrations and we do we did some cyber stuff for a long time well not a long time for a couple of years um we did some investigation stuff um and then we started working with agencies and helping them build their crime centers well once they helping build build there's a couple of aspects to building, right? There's the physical stuff and then there's the back end stuff. And just based on, you know, what we knew in the military and um, the talks, the uh, tactical operations centers, we used to, we would build um, like connections between programs on the back end. And quite honestly, that's where we figured out not all software programs don't want to talk to each other. Um, right. And so, and not only they don't want to talk to each other, but, their data is so different and the structure of their data that it's hard to get them to talk to each other. So we were doing that and we were working with a program called analyst notebook, which is a great program. Um, I too is a great tool. Um, the issue I would say with that is that you have to be trained on it. There's a lot of training that goes into it. It's a, I mean, it's a very detailed product. Um, and in the military, it, our, the, our analysts will go through, months of training in i2 or palantir um and in the law enforcement you just don't have that so we were you know working on stuff with agencies on on that front and helping them build connectors from like lexus nexus and different tools to to the back end of i2 um and so we were doing all that and helping them design their workflow and then we came and then we were we came up with iris we're like how are you processing all this they're like, oh, email, Excel spreadsheets. Um, we use SharePoint, all these different things. And we're like, which ones are compliant? Like, I don't think any of those are really 
um, especially if you're passing over like 28 CFR data or any, you know, CGI stuff. And so they're like, well, we don't, we don't quite know. So we, we helped them build, we helped some of the agencies build a, a flow of how the detective or the investigator can submit a request um, through a government cloud, see just portal um, that the analyst can, or the analyst or whoever's, you know, fulfilling the request can produce a, produce a product and disseminate it right back out to everything. The wallet's being tracked and meets all the auditing requirements. So we kind of took what we learned in the military. My business partner, Tim, he's kind of the brains behind a lot of it. And he, he, cause he was the analyst. So my business partner is a guy that I served in Iraq with. Um, and so the relationship was just amazing. Um, he would come out when I, we were overseas and he would, so he's the guy behind the scenes. So he sees the big picture. Um, I just see my little tunnel, right. I'm going on patrol and he would be like, Hey, uh, he'd call me out. Hey, meet me outside. I'd meet him outside. He would say, um, uh, your screen just changed. Yeah. I got, uh, that's what we're going to. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So we would take, literally take, um, he, he would tell me to meet him outside and go out there and be like, Hey, don't take this route. Um, you know, there's going to be, you know, an ID on this road, take, you know, so then we would, so he would tell me all this and I'd be like, Oh man, I appreciate it. So we developed that relationship, that rapport, I guess you you definitely call that rapport. Um, and so now we, he, all the issues that he had when he was trying to process and trying to fulfill requests and all that. So that's kind of where we developed Iris. Yeah, that's uh, it's and that's how we met, um, yep. kind of uh, through the uh, real time crime center stuff. Um, yep. And this is this is a big issue right now because real time crime centers are it's in its infancy. It's new. It's a new concept um, for those wondering what I'm talking about. Like just picture uh, that typical European James Bond movie style thing where you see all these cameras around in the city and. And they're like tracking stuff and doing all that. That's kind of what a real time crime center is. Um, a little uh, w- with a with constitutional protections. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Being here in the states, um, so essentially you'll get your city to set up cameras and other um, information tracking things um, that would be in a public place. At least in Texas, that's how we do it. Um, if if it's in a public area, and Joe Blow citizen would have a, a right to to film, record, um, do anything, uh, so do the police. So we'll have cameras and whatnot set up in certain locations. And then we're, you know, running license plates, tracking for people that have warrants and all these different, different things. Way It's a new way of policing. And, um, one of the problems that we have is one, let's say just like this workflow kind of shows here is, you know, you've got all these different um, avenues of information, whether it be all these, you know, PowerPoint, PDF, uh, teams, uh, Microsoft office, all of that stuff. Um, and then social media, Facebook, all that stuff. And we put together, uh, Intel sheets, bolos, be on the lookouts, whatever it is. This, a lot of the information that's on these things that we have is protected information. We can't just send it to each other 
like he was saying via email or whatever. Like you have to have some sort of um, protection and uh, compliance uh, behind. This. We call it CGIS. I don't even know what CGIS stands for anymore. Criminal um, Justice Information Systems. That's what it is. Um, and uh, it's got a lot of strict guidelines to send the type of information we're sending. So you need a, a, a software out there that's going to transfer everything under that compliance um, and be a one-stop shop, so to speak. And um, Iris is one of those companies that does that. It's kind of interesting. It's like I said, it's a new, it's a new concept and a lot of people are trying to get on board um, with, with these types of things and uh, come out with stuff like this. So what's cool about Iris is one, it's backed by two guys that are used to this type of information sharing and understanding you have to have, stuff encrypted and, and you can't just send whatever you want over email. So you've already got that. And then plus you guys have law enforcement working with you and for you. Um, so that that's pretty cool. If, I like that. And if you think about like the reason why DHS was designed, DHS was designed that, you know, to be able to communicate with local, uh, local uh, state and federal partners to communicate information. Um, so we don't have another, you know, nine eleven. Um, and that quite frankly just does not happen to the level it should. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, we're in the military, there's so many, and I'm not going to ever say that the military is perfect because it's not, but there's so many levels and layers of, of communication sharing, um, that, that happens based on need to know, based on, you know, requirements and all that. So it's, um, that's something that we were passionate about. Tim, Tim, there's a lot of stuff that Tim couldn't tell me in the military because I did not have the need to know. He saw the big picture. He just knew that we were driving down this road and there could be something that uh, would not, uh, an ID or whatever, an ambush would be on that road. So he'd be able to tell me that. So that the sharing was happening. Um, and so, and sometimes it's, you know, via, it was via phone or, but there's a better way of doing it. And so more, you know, tracked way of being able to communicate sensitive stuff. So, so we created that and, you know, we're working on that stuff. Um, and then um, to the other side, you know, I'm, I got elected my first term in 2020. Um, so, okay. Hold on. Before we um, start talking about, you asked me about all my stuff. So I was just kind of going in. Yeah, I know. Before we get into that, like, did this political um, idea happen because you did your year contract in D.C.? Kind of. So it wasn't so much my year contract in D.C. It was it was some of the things that were happening. My wife and I were we were having our first child. And um, to be honest, I never thought of me getting into politics or being involved or it just never it was just never I voted, but just never something that I really saw myself. I just worked um, and I was just going to try to provide for my family. So as we were going through the process, Obama was a president and we were going through trying to get insurance and doing all that stuff. And I was coming into a lot of issues. So I served in the military. I had some, I had VA benefits. Um, I was also, uh, I had a catastrophic insurance plan. So I bought me a plan for like $80 a month. It covered for me for one visit a year for my physical. And then it was, you know, $12,500 deductible. 
Yeah. Well, and my wife's a teacher. Um, so we were trying to get my son insurance and all every insurance. So I didn't realize the new law stated that every child had to be on their parents' program or a government program. So we were trying to go and I was trying to get insurance. I'm calling all these insurance companies. Everybody's turning me down. And I'm like, man, I thought it was supposed to be easier. I guess, you know, it's, it's not. Um, and to add one person to my wife's plan, it's like, you know, it's like tacking on an extra couple of thousand bucks a month, which wasn't something that we could pay for at the time. And so my, um, so I finally talked to one of the ladies at one of the insurance companies. She said, well, the new Affordable Care Act requires every child to be on their parents program, parents plan or a government plan. I said, well, I want to, well, then what do I do? And she's like, you know, well, you don't qualify for, you know, government assistance or anything. So you're, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not asking for that, but. She's like, well, I said, oh, you know, what's the plan? Can I switch my plan? She goes, no, because you're considered a pre-existing condition. I said, how so? She's like, well, you, you're having a child. I was like, I'm not physically having a child. Yeah. He's like, no, but you're still, you know, a parent. I'm like, so I couldn't get him on a, couldn't get him on the plan. And at that point, I was like, yeah, it, was just, it was very frustrating. So I told my wife, I said, you know, this is kind of BS that, the government's telling me what I can't, you know, how to provide for my family because they think they know it's better. Uh, and I said, and I decided, and I did not care for that. Did not believe, did not think that that was right. You know, I served in the military for, served overseas and, and the government's telling me what's best for me, what's best for me and my family. So I looked at my wife. I was like, listen, I'm going to get involved. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what it looks like, um, but I'm going to start getting involved. <clears throat> so that got me started like, kind of involved in, you know, learning about the process and, um, and then, uh, as my involvement grew, um, the seat in my district, my hometown came up and, uh, I knew the, my predecessor, Dane, Dane Eagle. Um, and he, you know, was, we, we have term limits in Florida, so he was terming out and I jumped in and, and uh, won my election. And then the next thing I got, uh, I didn't have a, an election this year, so I didn't have an opponent. So um, I just get, I just rolled right into Scared the- Scared him off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, I won't win. I ain't going up against that guy. Well, I hope that I do, I do good things. So, you know, there's no need to. But- I like this. I got, uh, if you're listening to the episode, um, I've, I've already shared the- uh, the website um, for his software company, uh, irisintelgroup.com. But I also have up here his uh, Florida House of Representatives uh, stat sheet. And just so everybody knows that in Florida, we have a, like a citizen legislature. So it's we're a part-time legislature. Um, so, I mean, we make $29,000 a year for, for uh, going up to, back and forth to Tallahassee. So you got to have a like a full time, and the and the idea behind it is that you pass laws, and then we live underneath the laws that we pass. Um, and so in Florida, I love our system. I think it's a great model. Like we're not full time, you know. We have to. We're citizen legislators. We get no pension yeah. system. We get no 
It's not any, like, you know, get vested after two years, one term. It doesn't work that way. We do our time. Um, we have four in the house. We have four two-year terms. So eight years total. We're done. You know, some folks go to the Senate. You can move to the different branches back and forth. But um, right. we're termed out at that point, And uh, we move on. Oh. That's smart. I like that, too. I like that yeah. concept. Yeah, I like the, I like term limits. I think term limits solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. But all right, let me see here. So uh, in your time doing doing that, um, what any life lessons you've learned as being a, a politician, so to speak? Uh, listen more. Again, it's not really a. <clears throat> so it, what's interesting? I'm a so I'm a warrant officer in the in the National Guard. So. Um, in the military, I'm an Can't inch wide and a mile deep. Well, as a yeah. legislator, you're an inch deep and a mile wide. So you're never going to know everything. Right. Um, you're never. It, and so it's really important that as a elected official, you surround yourself with, it's hard sometimes, but with good people um, to not just help you, but to, to you know, guide you. And I, and I always tell every audience when I go and speak to folks, listen, I don't know what I don't know. So if you don't tell me what a cert, what's happening in a certain industry or what's happening on the ground for, you know, after the hurricane, you know, um, with uh, what's going on and, uh, you know, any of the assistance from the agencies or FEMA, or, if you don't tell me, I don't know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I try to do my best to sit back and just listen, um, listen more, listen to people that are experts. Um, but you also get a lot of folks that are trying to sway you to, you know, pass a law, yeah. pass a bill that yeah. favors their company or whatever. Um, and you have to read through some of that. So I have a, just like a couple of like principles that I have in my head when I'm looking at stuff or I'm looking at a bill or I'm looking at, um, uh, when the term, uh, uh, and I have it different from the public sector to the private sector. So on the private sector side, when the word mandate comes up, I'm very critical of that word. Um, I don't believe, I believe in the free market. I do not believe in um, the crazy mandates on the private sector. You know, people have their private businesses or private property rights, you know, I'm very critical of that word mandate. Um, and so that makes me very critical of sometimes of the public sector when local governments will create mandates um, or create ordinances. I know in Florida, I just elected um, Key West tried to uh, create they created an ordinance against sunscreen um, in Key West. Like, um, so we had to to do we had I didn't but. My actually, my neighbor to the north, he had to do a preemption bill to just say, "All right, nobody in the state can ban sunscreen. We're in Florida, you know, we're in the sunshine state." So, yeah. you know, so looking at that type of stuff. But I've been really focused mostly on cybersecurity. I believe a big role of government is safety and security. That is like a like the biggest role, in my opinion. Um, safety and security. So I think cyber is an area that we have not, we haven't dove into as much as that we should, or I should say the cyber domain. Um, so, you know, we have to make sure that 
you know, we not only protect our physical lives, but our digital personas, right? So everybody has yeah. a digital persona. We, you know, you probably as a law enforcement officer use it to investigate a lot of people, right? Oh, absolutely. And I so tell people, yeah. I'm, I, I, I like being, you know, the, the, the hot word these days is being transparent. Okay. I'm, I tell, I tell the bad guys, we got cameras all over. Look, there's one right there and I'll show them what it looks like because I want them to second guess when they go to do something. I want them to, to stop committing the crimes in that location because if they now move, now I've got justification to go get a camera put in the next location and to the point where they're not committing crimes in my city. That's my fishbowl. I can only control my little environment. That's why I like, um, if I were to ever get into politics, it would be at your level because that's all I care about. I care about my area. I care about where my kids are going to grow up, what I, what I can control. Um, I can't, I can't really push my, my span of, uh, uh, control over a nation or anything like going crazy high politics or anything like that. Um, and I never considered politics at all until I started doing this. And then I got a lot of people asking me. Um, well, and, and I think that if you look at politics, politics, politics has been kind of a, and I hate to put it, but there's a lot of celebrity politicians, right? That people get in yeah. it. You're, you're either in it to do something or to be someone. Um, yeah. And so, and you can definitely see the the types of people that want to just are just in it to be somebody. Yeah. Um, they're 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 they star for that attention. They star for that dopamine when they get it. They count how many likes they have. On a, on <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. On a, you, on you were asking me how many viewers I had. I was like, I don't know. I got <laughs> so many views. I got. Uh, I can tell you that. That's but funny. you know, they're starving for that attention. Um, and then, and then you have folks that you just don't ever hear about that are just yeah. doing amazing work. And and I know, yep. like, we have a couple of um, elected officials here um, that ors are just like quiet behind the scenes. They just do amazing work. And, you know, <clears throat> and if you look at, you know, really, uh, you know, imagine what anybody can get done. Imagine what you can get done if nobody cares who gets the credit. Um, yeah, that is that is absolutely true. If people are so focused in on trying to get credit for something or trying to do whatever, um, they're they're focused. They're, they're not going to get anything good done. Um, yeah for the most part. And it's those folks behind the scenes that are trying to make things work, trying to get things done. Um, as what it, it's how it's really things get moved. Um, when you spend too much time on the, on a, on a, at a press conference or on the screen or whatever, it's just, it's all smoke and mirrors, right? It's all, yeah. it's all BS. Um, so, but, but that, that's what I like about it. Right? Just, just stay quiet, get the work done. The people hired me. I don't yeah. own my seat. It's not my seat. It's not my, it's the, the, the budget that we approve is not my money. It's not my company's money. It's, it's the people's money. Um, yeah. The desk that I have is not mine. Um, and at the end of the day, <laughs> when I turn out, I can hold a sign on the side of the road and say, I was a state representative or I was a chair of a committee and nobody is really going to care. So, you know, just get the good work done while you're in and, 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 and move on. And, and that's kind of where I try to come from. I mean, I'm just, they hired me to represent them and to vote, vote on behalf of what 
the 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 interest of our community is. Um, yeah. And when you keep that. that perspective, man, it's so fucking humbling, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't mean it to try to sound like I'm over, you know, but it's just true. So, and, yeah. you know, I, and my wife, we, we talk about it sometimes and we, uh, you know, when you're up in, in, in you're in politics and you're whatever you're, whether you're a council or a mayor or a state representative or a senator, right. People, you know, up in Washington or Tallahassee or anywhere, they're always like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I get home, my wife's like, hey, don't take the trash out, clean up the dog shit. You know, so it's, you have a real life. You have a real, you know, we're regular people. So, yeah. Now, um, level. Uh, with with that, um, real quick, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, your, your co worker, uh, your co owner, Tim. Yeah. I got him him pulled up right here. So if you're listening to the podcast, we, I, I I tend to do this to Tim. I like to give him shout outs. So, uh, that's, I just wanted to give him a shout out real quick, but, uh, now that we got that up there, you can, you can let him know we gave him a shout out. Um, I definitely will. Yeah. But now you being in the house, uh, doing what you're doing, most politicians have a project or something that they are super passionate about, something that they are going to bat for. Like it's the, it's their, it's their baby. Do you have one of those right now? Or have so you had I'm, several? Yeah. So technology has been kind of the area that I'm trying to help the state advance in. And, and mostly it's cybersecurity. So I am the, now the newly uh, chair of uh, energy communications and cybersecurity for the Florida house. So it's a subcommittee and through commerce and um, it is, I think it's really important. I mean, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by impact tactical impact is a tactical outfitter for the men and women of our military police fire departments and other public safety around the country. Impact's core beliefs is that fearless men and women protect our freedom and safety should have access to the best tactical performance apparel equipment and tools on the market. And they shouldn't have to go broke to get it. I've used Impact for about 11 years, and I can attest that they do live up to their core values. So you get a personal recommendation from me. You can find them at impacttactical.com. That's M-P-A-K tactical.com. And be sure to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. I've talked to insurance companies, and they're paying out billions of dollars a year on ransomware. They're, I mean, we are just really exposed more than we should be. Um, at all levels, private sector through the <laughs> government on cyber attacks. We got to work on a path to be able to minimize that risk. Um, and so the last couple of years, we've ran cybersecurity packages for tr- helping training. So expand training. Um, and most of it's for local local government. Again, kind of going back to that principle where I don't believe in mandating private sector companies, um, right. any of that type of, you know, you know, I'm not going to tell them that they have to do, you know, buy a cyber policy. I'm not, I don't believe in like the, the mandates I'm very critical of. Um, but as far as government goes, you know, you're protecting taxpayer dollars, data on all the, you know, people that you have in your systems, you know, we got to meet a standard. So we got standards, yeah. training, um, we're not going to pay ransomware in Florida. So we prohibit governments are prohibited from paying ransomware in Florida. 
So explain uh, what ransomware is for people that are, maybe it's their first time ever hearing it. So I'll paint you a scenario. We had a, an organization in Florida that um, were, and uh, just to be 100% honest, most of them happen on on-prem stuff. So anything that's, if you have a bunch of on-prem servers and you have an IT director saying, hey, we're never going to get breached, um, that's not true, right? Um, it's, you're, you're actually more vulnerable with all your on-prem stuff. So this um, organization um, had been compromised uh, months before it even happened. They uh, infected the system with uh, malware. Um, they created uh, administrative accounts and all of their stuff and all of their programs and, and uh, their uh, solutions. And they ended up triggering this ransomware, which locks all your stuff up. So nobody can access it. It's pretty much shuts it down um, until you pay the ransom. And then they give you a key to open it all up. So and most of these ransomware uh, hackers come out of Russia, China, um, Eastern Europe in general, Iran, North Korea, um, so they, they, they lock your system up, demand a ransom, a million, 40 million, I've heard, um, 600,000. We've had cities get locked up, um, and then they stay quiet about it. They don't, they don't ask for help. They just kind of hope it goes away, and then they uh, attempt to pay this terrorist organization, my opinion, um, this terrorist group uh, in Bitcoin, to un give them a key to unlock it. Um, so in Florida, we did not allow government agencies to do that. Um, and we were, we have a lot of other requirements in there, and, um, but that's the, that's the basis. That's the foundation. So you can't, we're not going to use low taxpayer dollars to go to these terrorist organizations that are, or these terrorist organizations or nation sponsored organizations. Um, it's not going to happen. Man, I, I've heard of that before, but it, I never heard of it on, like, government agencies or anything like that. I've only ever heard of it, like, on, you know, private businesses, the usually well-to-do off private businesses, and they've got their own, you know, counter-hackers and all that stuff. So Yeah, no, listen, the, I, I've heard it more, you know, now that I'm where I'm at, I actually have heard it more happening to government agencies than I have to private sector companies. Wow. It's probably because a private company can can, you know, can seal it better and they can handle it within and yeah but um but now these some of the a lot of government agencies are we're getting we're getting breached so we're hoping that this you know and we built a council they've they're putting things together they're doing good stuff we got a great cio in florida we've got a great um ciso um so we're we're trying to do a lot of good things to make sure that you know, there's training, they have resources and, and they just do the right thing. So, um, yeah, but yeah, so that's been my biggest focus is to try to make sure that the state, um, we can't tell anybody else or we can't make rules or laws or if we, if we have, to, if we have issues ourselves. Yeah. So, um, we want to make sure that the, the government is, um, is protecting the taxpayers' interests and taxpayers um, of Florida. 
Yeah. So. Well, what's cool is, you know, you. A lot of people can brag about, you know, well, I, I got this amount of money for us or I saved this amount of money, you know, in my term. But yours is could be potentially an unheard of amount. Like you, you don't know what you've just prevented just by stopping people from targeting Florida or yep. targeting that area because they're going to they're, they know they're not going to get paid out now. So, yeah. And it's and it's, an, and it, and, you know, putting all this together just wasn't from like it wasn't like me just sitting there you know we had, there was a there's a team of people again we have a council we have a you yeah. know we have staff and folks you know and then the private sector the uh, the private sector industry all the cloud service everybody kind of weighed in and was like hey these are the best ways and this is what we can do and you know yeah. we didn't want to be we wanted to make sure that we had a consistent standard we meet same standards as you know, as other uh, other states and other agencies, we consulted the federal government, see what the, to see what like DHS and CISA and all those organizations, what they recommend. And we just kind of came up with what, you know, we thought, you know, uh, yeah. would be a good, good foundation. Um, and it's all like sometimes when you create laws or you create, you know, legislation or you put rules in or um, you try to minimize the unintended consequences um, because there's always going to be like second, third order effects. And the other thing that I've learned from, you know, being in the military is that, yeah, you have a course of action, but then you have to have an alternate course of action and then an alternate. And then you have to really think about um, like your, your, your goal, what your goal is, what, what you're trying to fix or what you're trying to achieve. And then making sure that, you know, other things don't, you know, get terribly affected um, by it in a negative way um, because then you got to go back and try to clean it up and um, and you just try not to cause too much damage and too much financial burden on the taxpayers and uh, making sure that you're you're doing the right, the right thing. So yeah, yeah, oh, that's dude, that's that's cool. That's huge. Yeah. I like it's that. Not, it's not not you know I have uh, other friends in the legislature that are doing like a lot of like na- national level, like yeah, Fox news bills and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of working yeah. on my little thing, but what? I like it. It's, it's important. Yeah. Well, the way that, I, and we kind of touched on this when it came to, uh, you and I had a side conversation when we first met about catalytic converters and yeah. how that's a, a big issue. And I said, the problem is, is nobody is tackling this issue from your side of the house, basically. I said, because as a cop, our hands are tied. Like, we don't have the tools we need to even start combating this issue. And if people are hearing this for the first time about catalytic converters, like, it is a national epidemic. It's it's huge. It's a um, a billion-dollar industry, people stealing these things. Um, yeah, there, you know, I think, you know, finding ways that we require – you know, uh, just like a, like if you sell something to a pawn shop, right? Um, that pawn dealer, to my knowledge, has to register it. There's got there's got to be some mechanisms that we can put in place to make now, sure that it's there not. is there there, and that's kind of the issue is there there already is some mechanism at least in Texas. Like if I were going to sell a catalytic converter to a legitimate recycler, like a state um, certified recycler. There are standards they have to do. They have to take your license, like get your picture of your ID. They have to get a picture of you. They got a picture of your car and your license plate, all of that. 
which is great. And some bad guys fall under that, and we catch them that way because, you know, they didn't know any better. But the majority of these guys are selling black market. They're selling to um, a person that provides the equipment. So I'll give you an example. We had a guy uh, lives in this house um, claiming his yard, his, his personal yard is a scrapyard. Like he had this little shell business for it. Um, as a scrapyard, a junkyard type thing. And what he was doing is he had a room in his house that had close to 100 um, battery chargers, sawzall blades, sawzalls. Like it was like going into a Home uh, Depot rental facility. And he was providing the equipment to these cutters that would go out and steal your catalytic converters. And he was telling them which ones to look for, the types of cars and all that stuff. They bring them back to him. He'd give them a little bit of cash. So he's feeding, most of them have some sort of drug addiction. Uh, he's feeding their addiction. He's buying these catalytic converters at bare minimum, you know, uh, way under value. And then him as a scrapyard, he's going and selling them to a licensed facility, completely legit. And Because he's bringing them in bulk. It's no, he's it's, bringing them in bulk. There's, and there's no, no yeah. So there's there's that there's that loophole. That's one loophole that we've got. Um, so one fix for me would be like if you're going to sell catalytic converters, you need to provide uh, a copy of the VIN, the the title, something where I need to see the chain of custody of this thing. If you just found it in the streets or whatever, you don't get to sell it. You don't get to recycle it. Sorry. I it need is proof. a billion-dollar industry. Yeah, I need proof of, of the workflow of where this came from, what vehicle it came off of, whatever. Um, and then the other part is, let's say I pull over a vehicle at 2.30 in the morning, which is a prime time for them to go out and steal these things. Uh, it's a Honda Civic, and it's got 15 catalytic converters in the back seat, uh, a bag that I can clearly see a Sawzall with a bunch of Sawzall blades. And the guy that I get pulled over has a history of theft and drugs and whatever. All of the signs are there, right? It's clear that this guy is out cutting cats off of people's cars at night. I can't do shit. I can't do anything. Can't. I, the best I can do is confiscate the, the catalytic converters and put it as a suspect case for a possible burglary or theft and then hope somebody files a case in that area that I caught this guy and the catalytic converters match up to a vehicle somehow. But catalytic converters don't have VIN numbers on them. Oftentimes, the only way we can match them up is if we somebody caught it on camera or the cut itself from the pipes matches the car. But a lot of times, they'll do a double cut. So they'll cut it off, and then they'll cut the pipes again. So then if I go to try to match it up, it won't match. So we don't have the tools that we need to stop these guys. And another fix, since you're a guy that can do these things, um, let's say I pull that car over. If you have loose cat, we call them loose cats. If you have loose cats in your car, meaning they're not in a box, like they're going to be um, installed, like a, a properly installed, like you would order one from a company aftermarket. Um, if it's just a loose cat and you've got no proof of ownership, no title, no nothing, that should be assumed it's stolen. Just like if I were to catch you with credit cards on your person that don't belong to you. That's an assumed felony. I can arrest you right then and there. We get you booked and all that stuff. Meanwhile, I go back. I call the victims. 
on these cards. Hey, did you get a credit card stolen? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. We're going to finish filing this case. That way the person can't get away. You know, we can we can still follow through. Now, if it turns out they're like, no, I let that guy use my credit card. And the other person also says, yeah, I let that guy use my credit card. Like, that doesn't happen. But let's say that weird scenario, that does happen. Okay, sir, we take him, get him out of the jail. We take him back to where he was at. But it's it's a fair assumption that that person didn't have permission to use those cards. So it's the same with the catalytic converts. If I catch you, let's say, with two or more, and they're cut loose, you know, like, it's pretty obvious you're out taking them. Now, if you work for a garage, a muffler shop, whatever it is, that makes sense. Okay, I get that. But 2.30 in the morning, you got 15 catalytic converters in the back of your Honda Civic? Like, yeah, that's a little bit more. Yeah. And and we would have never been aware of this issue had the market not gone up so high for the precious metals, the regulated metals that are inside of catalytic converters. So in, in Texas, did you guys, when you... How long has that law been in effect where uh, they have to register and provide license? Um, that that's not uh, it's not the oldest. It's it's fairly new, but yeah. it it doesn't do it didn't do enough. They easily get around it now. They you know it's just like any other crime. Bad guys figure out the loopholes and then they expose those and start taking advantage of it's this. a huge it's a huge problem i've talked to our state yeah. attorney about it and it is a yeah. huge problem uh you're billions and billions of dollars of theft um yeah. and and these are like organized crime some of them are like very no, it is. it's it's mostly organized crime yeah in my experience yeah. um and the, i know you don't like to put mandates and regulations on private companies but in this case, that may be one of the fixes because they're the ones driving the black market. They are purchasing yeah. from the people out there. And that's another problem. A lot of times it's muffler shops or scrapyards. They're not state licensed recycling facilities. Um, they're buying these things, you know, 50 bucks a pop from these guys going out and cutting. And then they turn around and wholesale it and make a ton of money off it. They're driving the market. Illegally. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how, you know, I don't know in Florida how the scrap yards or how they're registered or what type of licensing that they'd have to get. That'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, so. but to my point, the point that I was trying to make is it takes a guy like you to do a, a small project in your state and then you get the national guys to go, oh, shit, look what he did. He fixed it. Yeah. And we can yeah. take that and we can run it everywhere. So, yeah, um, no, and, and that does happen a lot. You know, we look at stuff that Texas does. I've had Texas uh, folks call contact me about some some of the cyber things. And so it's you know, we, we we work together. We have different associations that yeah. we, you know, communicate with and, and to see what, um, what what what's working for them, what's not working. Uh, yep. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Uh, and and what we found is some of our organized uh, bus that we've done here, um, they're they're transporting their stuff to Florida. We yeah. we haven't figured out why what what the draw is to Florida in particular. We haven't figured out yet. Um, but Florida, Detroit, I obviously I get that. I understand why they would go to Detroit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cartel stuff. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I know. It's fentanyl is a big problem too. Uh, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, fentanyl's- that's the. And it's like the number one killer of young people right now. Yeah. 
you know, I yeah. told some of the principals and uh, different, I'm like, you should, yes, you know, in Florida, we allow the schools to carry Narcan because yeah. like, you just never know. And in some time, in some cases, the kids don't even know that they're it's drugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, they see these shiny pieces of candy and they think that that's, you know, uh, so it's, it's, you know, in the day and age that we're in right now, there's so many different things. And a lot of the fentanyl is coming through our borders. And uh, yep. so it's, yep. <clears throat> it's a mess. So we're trying to figure out ways to, but it's just so rampant. It's, it's really, yeah. really hard to just kind of take a, get a control over. Yeah. Uh, so we have to figure, we have to figure out that um, in Florida, you know, we try, we've upped the penalty um the problem is so we've actually upped the penalty if it can be proven that fentanyl was the death of somebody um you can be charged with murder oh uh, with okay. death yeah and you charge be charged to your uh but make the but dealers no, think twice yeah but the problem is is that most of the folks that that overdose it's laced with something um and the you know the medical examiners don't want to say it was definitely this, right? It yeah. was definitely fentanyl. Yeah. Um, because it can't be any of the agents in that. Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, trying to figure out ways to, um, to, to kind of make sure that, I mean, cause it's rampant and it's, you know, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's, I've had, I have constituents that have been affected, killed, you know, over, yeah. whatever you want to call it um, on, on this stuff. And, it is just not. Yeah. I had a, I had a truck. We were dealing with a stolen vehicle. Um, we get the guys rounded up. I peek in the car and I see pills everywhere. I mean, bags and bags and bags of pills. This is, uh, honestly, it's probably one of the largest dope busts I've ever had. And I'm not a dope cop. So for me, I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of pills. And, uh, I called the narc unit out there and, um, I didn't go in it just because it it's not my field of expertise and I don't want to ruin whatever it is that they do. So um, I was looking at it from that point. I wasn't looking at it from a safety aspect, but um, as they, they show up and they go to peek in there and they're, they're like, they round all of us officers up and they're like, you guys good? I'm like, yeah, I feel good. Like nobody feels this. They don't feel these symptoms or anything like that. I'm like, no, dude, we didn't go in the truck. He's like, okay. Nobody went in the truck. You didn't touch any dope that they had in their pockets or anything like that, right? It's like, no, no, we're good. Why? What? And he's like, dude, fentanyl is bad. Like, we're not even going to go in this truck until we have, they have masks and, and, and PPE and all this stuff just to deal with pills. That's how nervous my narc unit was of it. That's crazy. So, that's, yeah. that's, <clears throat> that tells you, I mean, because they get that training. All cops kind of get it, but that's their specialty. And they've seen firsthand how bad it is. So they, they, I mean, they were really checking us out, making sure we were okay. And these are guys I've, I've hung with and, and hang out and do bullshit with and all that. And, but when it was game time and it was, it was the real deal and the job and they were, they were looking out for us. And that's when I realized how potent and dangerous that shit can be. So ever since then, we've always carried Narcane in our, in our vehicle. I, I work in a lot of undercover cars, so we have it in the glove box, you know, a couple of the nose shooter things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking as a cop, man. 
Because you never know when you're going to run across it. I deal with people that steal shit. So there's a high probability I'll run across it, I guess. I just never really thought about it because I don't, I don't deal with dope. No, that's uh, – and so that that is, you know, never, you, if it's a pill and you can't even go near it and touch right. it or whatever, then, then yeah. you know it's bad. Then yeah, you know and these bad. bags were like uh, – like sandwich bags, not even the Ziploc kind, just the the old school ones that you just kind of like roll over the top. Whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we had these bags and bags, and they were concerned that it would have gotten airborne from rubbing together and just floofing out the top. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah breathe it, it right in. That's it. You get, get in your skin. Yeah, in your uh-huh. lungs. You fuck. You're, you're done. Yeah, it's, that's, that's scary stuff, man. Um, is they lace okay. it with they lace it with a ton of different types of drugs. Yeah, yeah. I heard there's an even a, a newer type of fentanyl out there. I don't think it's called fentanyl, but it's made from that same tree, and it's even more potent. I don't I don't understand why they need it. I don't know what it does. I don't understand enough about drugs because I just don't. That's not my realm of expertise as a cop. I don't go down that path very much. So. But I, I don't know what fentanyl would do to enhance your high, I guess. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Addiction, it's a maybe? painkiller. I mean, it used to be, like, legal, you know. Yeah. Well, this, I think it's still, like, to a level. Um, I don't I don't know. Like, in some certain cases, yeah. synthetic, like an extreme synthetic heroin type of. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're dying. You're on your deathbed, you know. <clears throat> yeah. So, I don't know. You know well, um, okay, sir. So now, how how much longer do you have on your current? Is this your first term you're on? Second, I just started my second term. You just started the second. Okay, yeah. so, um, so you st- you still got four years left. Yep. Ish. Okay. No, I got yeah. yeah. Well, more than four years. Like probably about six total. Because I still okay. got to do my second term, so it's two years, and then and then I have two years, and then two years. Okay. That, yep. oh, oh, so it's two years. To, I'm sorry. I thought it was two terms. Yeah, you have four, four two-year terms. Oh, okay. Four two-year terms. Okay. Dang, dude, yeah. that's legit. And you didn't have any competition this year, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That means you got to go even harder. Yeah, and listen, just I'm going to continue doing the work. You know, I got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get an opponent, you get an opponent, right? It's part of the process. Yeah. So. I, I. Florida's Running is not easy. So anybody who's ever put their hat, I have a lot of respect for them, put their hat and just attempting it. Um, yeah. It's not an easy thing. Everything is out there. I mean, you know, my next time around, this will be out there. You know, like it's just everything is out there. So, you, yeah. you, just, you know, it is what it is. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. That's one of my concerns because um, I want to be a chief somewhere. I, I just I love law enforcement and I like helping and doing all that stuff. I just, I would love to do it from the top to try to form a law enforcement agency in how I've learned over my career. Cause I, it's not that I think I'm the best out there by any means, but I just want to see what I can do to see if I can help improve law enforcement. Um, yeah. and I don't hold my ideas to myself. I never have. I put them all out there on here. So I hope all agencies can listen to what I say and, and, go you know what that's a good idea we'll try that one you know just take a tool for the tool belt but um i'd love to give it give it a good go see how how it works out maybe i can keep improving law enforcement but like you said 
people will go back and look at what I've done on here. Yeah. And I, I am fully aware of that. So you're either going to love me or you're going to hate me because I'm not going to change who I am. I think who I am is working for me. So, yeah. uh, but it, it could screw me out of a good spot. Um, but I think uh, you'll be I fine. Mean, you haven't said anything bad so far uh, on, on this episode. So. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Right so far. Yeah. I try to, like I said, I, it's definitely not PC by any means. We swear, we drink, we, although today we're drinking coffee. So, you know what uh, though, like people want to be, you know, they, I also think people want somebody normal, you know? Yeah. Like, when I talk to folks, I don't like. Yeah. Or at least be yourself. Like it's fine if you don't drink. If you're a person that doesn't drink, that's fine. And be be you. But when you do and you pretend you don't, or you you know you try to put on this facade, fakeness is yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. over the the whole fake stuff. So yep. I, I one of my biggest frustrations with politicians is just you'll ask them a simple question. And you get Never this big answer. roundabout vague answer. And I'm just like, he asked you a yes or no question. Not, you know, you know, can you fix catalytic converter things? Well, first I'd like to thank everybody for coming out. Joe, that's a great question. I appreciate you doing that. I, I like the work. You know, they, like, they don't, you're already getting it, man. You're, I, you I, I hate it. I hate that shit. Yeah. Just like, shut up and answer the question. That's what people want. <laughs> they don't want this long drawn out thing. And then, Oh, I'm sorry. We ran out of time and you only touched the, on the word. You said the word catalytic converter. That was it. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, It drives me nuts. I don't know how you deal with that, buddy, but in your, in your campaign stuff. Okay. So this is a question that I'm just personal curiosity. Like, yeah, you say you do have to run against somebody like who comes up to you and they're like, I'm going to be your campaign person. Like, and this is how I don't even know how you get funding for that. No, we have campaign consultants. We have to fundraise, right? Um, so we have to host fundraisers, and we have to do all that stuff, and call people for for support, and and it's so it's just through networking. Like you find somebody that's into that stuff, and you're like, I trust this guy or girl. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're it's a job for them. It's a profession. You know, it's a hiring a consultant. Um, oh, okay. Somebody. So you're oh, yeah. actually paying there's a, somebody. There's oh. political consultants that, yeah, they're. Oh, um, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I told you how close like, I am on politics. Well, I'll tell you, like, so mine, um, you know, he is extremely principled. And so he, you know, you, you go out and you, you say, hey, I'm going to hire you as a consultant. He'll interview you to make sure that you're not, like, he wants to make sure that you have you know, the same foundational principles as, as he does, because he doesn't want to represent somebody that, and then you have some of them that are just like, we don't care. We're just in it for the money. Um, and, and so my, mine is not in it for the money because he does a lot of stuff, you know, just to, I don't know, say free, but he, he's done a lot of stuff for free just to yeah. get good people elected. Um, yeah, pro bono. So, yeah, yeah, pro bono would be. I got you. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, it's, you know, and he, you know, he'll spend hours and hours. I mean, he's up at it all, at the office at 5 a.m. and he's leaving at, you know, midnight or 11 o'clock and then doing it all over again during election season. So, I got a I got a pretty good one, one that's dedicated to 
to, you know, same beliefs and principles and yeah. No, no, I've, but I've actually had, he's actually interviewed um, people that wanted to hire him and he's like, can't work, can't do it. So you don't, we don't, don't see eye his, to eye. Yeah. 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 yeah That's good. See eye to eye. Uh, you know, he is a, you know, believes in conservative principles and he's, you know, believes in limited government and, and all that type of stuff. So you can't, like, you just won't, won't work for people that are just kind of too far outside of his, his, uh, his beliefs. So I, I like that about him. So, yeah. and that's hard to find in, in this game. Right. Yeah, so, yeah mm, absolutely. But, yeah. Did you, uh, in your, in your time, have you got to meet, uh, DeSantis? I have. Yeah. Oh, nice. He actually spent a lot of time down in Southwest Florida because he got hit with a hurricane. Okay. Um, and so I get to probably get to know him a little bit better than I did before um, since the hurricane hit. Cause I think he, he was down here every other day. Um, it seemed like so helping us yeah. out, making sure some of the red tape has been cut. Um, yeah. You know, some of the things that, you know, it's, it's crazy when you get hit by a storm like that and then all the things that happen, the details behind it, the contracts with the cities and the state emergency management and the debris pickup and, and all these little things that kind of go into place. Um, we have barrier islands here. And so we have Pine Island and Sanibel and Fort Myers Beach, who all three were just completely destroyed. Um, I think Fort Myers Beach was probably the the absolute worst I got hit. Um, and, uh, you know, I just couldn't imagine some of the folks that lived out there. They just lost everything. Yeah. And um, so we had, and then Sanibel um, is an affluent community. You know, they, they have a lot of money, but, I mean, they got destroyed too. I mean, they, they took, their bridge went out. Um, so they needed a lot of support and help. Um, and they got, they got good folks over there too. Um, and then Pine Island. So Pine Island is these people that Pine Islanders are resilient. They're tough. They're your, they're your fishermen. They're your Marine contractors. They're very humble people. Um, they're, they're good people and they're right outside of my district. Um, but you know, only way to get through to Pine Island is through my district, unless you go by boat. And so their causeway or their bridge went out, uh, part of their causeway went out. And so we had, I get a call a couple of days after the storm hit um, from a friend of mine out there. I coach Pop Warner football. Okay. So, yeah, so I coach with some of these guys that, that live on the island and, um, and I grew up with them. So they call me up and they're like, hey, you know, they're, you know, there's a, we need to build a bridge. We need, you know, we can do it. So like I said, they're Marine contractors. They're very capable of, of doing things themselves. And so they cleared their own debris. They did all of this. Um, and they were fighting with the County, um, <clears throat> County is just not wanting to help them, um, for whatever reason and no good reason in my opinion, but, <clears throat> and so, we went out there, uh, myself and, and our congressman Donalds. Uh, he we went out to Pine Island, saw all the issues. Um, we came back, and <clears throat> I saw the governor, and I told him about it. And I said, "Listen, they're going to build a bridge with or without us." Um, I said, uh, "We just need Florida Department of Transportation's help." 
And he's like, all right. That's it. Yeah, that was and it. literally, yeah. I'll tell you, within that late afternoon, I get a call and they're like, hey, uh, Department of Transportation's out here, like looking for spots where they could put their vehicles and looking at the and talking to some of the pilot. They're like, what? what? You know? Yeah. And so I get a call from Florida Department of Transportation. They're like, hey, just FYI, um, we think we could build it in, you know, you know, three to five days. Damn. And so I was like, uh, all right. Make it happen. And so <laughs> they had that they had that bridge built in three days. Wow. Hundred plus trucks of gravel come in. They I mean, they worked around the clock. You know, it was just, you know, we had the issue. I saw the governor and told him, you know, yeah. we need help with this. And he was there was just zero hesitation. He was like, boom. So all was, you have to do is just like schedule an appointment and like for a major it, issue like that, I'm assuming. Well, I mean, how does he that was coming down a lot to, to, yeah. to, to, to help us out, make sure that we're, everything was good. He was standing up state programs that help, especially some of the small businesses and the people and all that stuff. So he was down here a lot and I, I caught him when he was down here and I told him what was going on and, and he, I mean, just, just so fast. Um, yeah. You know, we had, had we had one of our supermarkets, Publix, that was uh, trying to open their doors and was having some local government issues trying to trying to do that. Um, they wanted to just give the food away, um, and oh, so yeah. we ended up just letting the the governor's team know and uh, her, you know, Dane Eagle, who's my predecessor. And who just left as the uh, Secretary of Economic Opportunities, picked up the phone, contacted the very top of Publix, and that's our grocery store chain here. And they were like, this is what we're doing. All right, let's do it. Open the doors. National Guard helped support with security, making sure that nobody was going to go in and loot and all that stuff. And then um, the people who did not have power, water, food, anything, Publix opened their doors, and they – let them just like, Hey, we're, you know, some of this stuff's going to, it's perishable. Right. So you just, t- yeah. if, it, if it's good, take it, you know, like, and so <clears throat> it's, I'll tell you right now, it, the community responded, community and nonprofits responded way faster and way more efficient than our, than some of our, uh, than some of our governments did. Um, and so it, it, it went really well. Um, I think from from that aspect, you know, with the state's involvement, like again, we had some we had hiccups, county issues, um, but I think outside of that, um, you know, the governor was like on point, uh, helping us out down here. So yeah, can't, can't complain That's at all. Awesome. About it. Yeah. So he's a personable guy, is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, well, he he just gets it done. I mean, there's no yeah. like. Again, the least amount of words. That's he's a military. very yeah, that's a military, yeah, he's a military, yeah, he's a military yeah. you know, jag officer. So he, but he's yeah. like, you know, least amount of words, just just getting it, just got it done for us. So that's that was, cool. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Despite what the media and everything, like I just look at you know his history. I'm like, oh, he's a military guy, and he's going, and he, he seems to run things like I'm used to seeing in the military. Like I, I don't have time for bullshit. Like this needs to be done. Let's get this done. This isn't a priority. We don't need to deal with this right now. Let's yeah. like, 
It's it's not that hard. You don't got to overcomplicate things when when stuff. It's just a hierarchy of priority and knowing who to get what done. Like you said, you yeah. surround yourself with the experts, and that's that's the best way to do it. Cause... Yeah, no, no, it was. <clears throat> yeah, I think. I mean, it just worked out really well for us. So he, yeah, you know, that's awesome. And and he had because he the the issues that we did have with with uh, the county he knew and and he i mean they were down here every other day i was getting phone yeah. calls hey the governor's in the area you know so he's constantly like letting us know like hey let us know if you need anything let us know if you need anything i mean it was just constant from his office so which is yeah. extremely appreciative because um, sometimes you're just you're not thinking to ask or you're not thinking to you know um, and you can bounce issues off of his team and they would help us come up with a solution so yeah I wish governors and, and, and representatives and stuff like that would do that more often with their local police agencies. Yeah. Because the, the stuff we could tell them and help them with is just so abundant, but that I I've never, ever, ever had a representative, a city councilman, any of that come out and want to talk and figure out, from a cop's perspective in an area like what what are you seeing what are the things that you think could be done to help here because who knows better than the ones that are saturated in the in that area well that's a shame because that's you know when i go and 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 talk about like when i'm learning about like mental health issues and from communities and um i'm going to the 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 sheriff's department or i'm going to the police department and ask say hey are you guys seeing this being an issue yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. like, like the fentanyl, you know, or catalytic converters. Um, yeah. and I'm, you know, you, you gotta ask like, you're not, you don't know. You're like, you, so yeah. you gotta, and sometimes people are not going to just volunteer it. So you gotta just ask like, what are the biggest issues that you're seeing? Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> mental health is an, is a, is a thing, you, you know, talking to some of the, sheriff's deputies and they're they're like oh man eight out of ten people that we arrest have some sort of mental health issue yeah and you're like so this is a problem yeah and Uh, and on the law enforcement side oh yeah yeah. well yeah this last year i ran a bill here in florida that allow that allows for um first responders and corrections officers if they had a a qualifying if they had an incident you know they were involved in a shooting or something with a child or um that could cause post-traumatic stress yeah they can seek workman's comp one year after the diagnosis so before it was one year after the incident yeah um, we changed it to incident or diagnosis so because a lot of times being in the military i know that stuff doesn't come till later on in life yeah, we just have no clue. It could be a couple of years. It could be, you know, an officer gets involved in a shooting, and then two years later, they have a family, they have little ones, and then they start to have issues because maybe there was a child involved in in, in a case that they're working, and now they have to, you know, go seek help. Yeah, uh, we want to make sure that they do right. Yeah, we, we want to make sure that you go seek help. We want to make sure, and we don't want to be a ding on you. We want to be, you know, we want it to be something that you that you can go do and then get back to work. All right. After, you know, after your, your, your kind of, you, know, you get the help that you need. 
So, yeah. yep. so we, so we passed that the last year. Um, that's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I bet, I bet you get a lot of other States following that example. Um, yeah, I hope so. I think it's something that it's a, just the thing that we have to do. We have to recognize that. Um, yeah. And the Florida, our Florida police chiefs association um, and then the PBA and yep. um, the, and all the organizations were, were kind of helping me. Cause I don't know all I know from the military side, which is yep. way different. Right. Um, but they're kind of helping me with some of the information. Um, yeah. And, uh, because I have to go to them for, to ask them, right. They, they know what I don't. So yep. that's part of the partnership that you have. Yeah, to have. absolutely. Man, I couldn't, you know how awesome it would be if I showed up to roll call and you know, I'm getting ready to go punch 10, eight to go on patrol or whatever it is. And for roll call that day, it's, I've got, you know, a state legislator or the governor or whoever, and their only job that they're trying to do there that day is just let you talk to them and gain perspective. Okay. What do you see? What do you think could help fix the community here? Like, what are your priorities? And you just, you know, it might be 20 officers and it's going to take a while to get through all those officers, but holy shit, the perspective you're going to get about that area that you're not going to get from anyone else. You're not going to get it from the public because the public doesn't even see the cops see the bad yeah. call after call after call after call where a, a citizen only sees that one bad call that happened in their area. Maybe even if they weren't a part of it, maybe. So it, it's well, just a so, unique perspective. No. And, and that's, that's a good point. Cause it's, it's just beyond the crime element or, so I had a resource officer I was chatting with him, and, um, I said, what are the biggest things that you're having that you see issues with? And and he's like, you know, there's just not enough to do. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he, he said, he goes, you know, the city of my city is over 200,000 people. We're like the seventh, sixth largest city, sixth or seventh largest city in the state of Florida uh, population wise are the, we used to be more retirement. Now the average age has dropped significantly. We okay. have a lot of families in it now but we don't have a boys and girls club. We don't have, we don't have any of these things Yeah, that, that kids do. And he's like, there's not enough things for kids to do. Right. You have, they're just kids. Like they get out of school, they go home. There's nothing else to do that. They, they can cause trouble or they do it. Like there's just not enough stuff to keep the kids in the community occupied. And I said, man, I never had anybody come and say, Hey, just, you know, we, we need more kid things to do because it's usually not a, you know, so I started to like, and that's what kind of, I was like, I'm going to go coach my kids pop Warner team this year. And this was last season. And so I was just, I mean, we had a, over a hundred kids that we could not take playing pop, like on one field. We had a hundred kids that couldn't play pop Warner football because we didn't have enough space. It filled up within an hour of, of registration. Um, so like, well, this is a problem. Like we got to make sure that kids have an outlet to, to do other things. Sport. I know sports kept me out of trouble. Yeah. You know, sports kept me out of trouble, fishing and doing all that stuff that kept me, that kept me out of trouble. So, you know, we got to have these, these things, you know, yeah. Y'all got some good bass fishing out there. Yeah, we do. You can't <laughs> you give these kids things to, to do, you know, and during the summer, yeah. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of programs. 
Uh, and so I thought, I was like, because our local police department, Cape Coral Police Department, they have like programs where they where officers take kids that, you know, um, maybe are in a, a home where mom's working a couple jobs or so they take kids and they, and they help them out. High risk kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the high risk kids, yeah. they get them involved in sports and they, you know, help pay for their, they scholarship them into, you know, uh, you know, different, you know, leagues and stuff like that. So, which is, which is great, but we just, and he saw it and he's like, we just don't have enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that well, makes sense. I mean, that's, and a lot of that is mostly on the local, local level, not really a, a state can yeah. in on that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just good to know that, you know, we're, we're growing in that way and we need to figure out ways to, and maybe there is something, you know, maybe there's something that the state can help with a grant or, or yeah. whatever that we can, we can put together to make sure that some of these communities have, have, yeah, we do a uh, resources to grow. We we do a um, uh, judo and a boxing league. That's a big thing that our department puts on. Um, we call it the the athletic league type thing. But yeah, it's the same thing. And, you yeah, know, it's typically high risk kids that come do it, um, but not always. It's open to all the, all the anyone from the city. But um, yeah, it's a it's pretty pretty substantial um, to the point where we like have to hire people to help us <laughs> manage yeah. and do it all like outside of the agency and whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's pretty big, but um, I think we stole that from Boston. I think Boston's the one that originated it uh, for, for troubled teens and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. it's huge. So, well, brother, uh, is there anything we haven't hit that maybe you want to bring light to? No, man, I appreciate your time. Uh, looking forward to, to actually hearing it. And Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Let's uh, think about your partner there. Hey, buddy. There's See Tim. Hold <laughs> on. Uh, yeah. Um, he'll, yeah he'll, he'll love he'll love that. He'll love that, that you single him out, just like when you single him out at the crime center conference. <laughs> he had it coming. He left us hanging. He, so. he did. He, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good sport. He's a, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah man. I. I had so much fun at this con. We did this conference for real time crime centers and. uh I met, this is how I met him and Tim and I, I met quite a few people over there. Um, and we just hit it off. Like our personalities meshed well and we just end up hanging out pretty much every night that we were there. And, uh, yeah, yeah. it was a good time, man. I, I yeah, had a lot of fun. great organization. It was a good, good conference too. I thought it was, yeah. Had all the, info. Or I, as a vendor, it had all the, the right folks at it for us to be able to, that understood the technology that understands technology, but also, you know, we go to some of the, the conferences and sometimes the folks at like the high level, they don't necessarily know too much detail about the technology behind it. Yeah. They may be the, the, the signatory or the person that signs off on it, but they got to get just like anybody else. You got to get the information from your analyst. You got to get the information from your managers yep. saying, Hey, what do we need? What works? What doesn't? Um, and they, you know, you trust your, trust those folks to, to help you make the decision if whether a solution is right for you. I mean, yeah, we go into agencies sometimes and it's, it's crazy. They'll have so many different platforms or programs and, um, nothing really talks or, or they don't use it a whole lot. And we're just like, why are you guys? And they're like, oh, well, this person bought this when they were here and this person, 
now you got a whole ton of stuff that you just yeah. don't know. And, and then you don't have anybody that knows how to use it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. so, I, I, yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It drives, it drives me crazy sometimes. And, and you're so like, you experience it. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh my God. And, and I'm coming from a department that we do have multiple platforms. We have a lot because we don't like to get ourselves singled into one contract necessarily. And we're trying to figure out which one works best yeah. for us. And so here we are, people are like, man, you, you're flipping back and forth to so many different platforms. Isn't that confusing? Well, yes and no, but now we have a system down where we know, like, if this happens, if a car chase happens, this platform works best for us while we're trying to get camera to camera to camera on, on, on keeping up with a pursuit versus, yeah. like, if uh, we're investigating a crime that's already occurred and we need to go back and look through footage this platform works better. And, and, you know, uh, I think that's the, it's an expensive way, but I think it, it's the best way to get experience with all of the different platforms to figure out, like I said, what works best for you. So, well, and you have like these, some of the associations that do are able to, you know, you can talk to some people from other agencies that, you know, so that have certain solutions, Hey, what works, how do you use it? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're the best ones to tell you, like, yep. we don't use it. We do use it. You know, it's a, like, a, you know, like we see, we still like, we like analyst notebooks, a product that I know fairly well. And, and it's like an amazing utility. If you know how to use it, you got to know. And there are companies out there that help you use them, you know, um, that are good companies. Uh, but it's just, you got to know how to use it. Yeah. Um, and that's like yep. the biggest thing is I, we see is a lot of agencies will have platforms and programs and software, and whatever. They just don't know how to use it. Yeah. Um, There's no trainer but, program. There's no nothing like, here's your software, go to town. You or, know. or, you know, well, you know, let's just be honest. The, sometimes the turnover is a lot in, in certain mm -hmm. parts, um, maybe more so on civilian staff or yeah. they keep shuffling around. I know we have agencies that will have, they'll, you know, they'll have analysts come from communications or they'll move them around to different parts of the agency. You know, it's not consistent. Um, yeah. So they don't know how to use the program. Yeah. yeah they got to yep. learn. And so and yep. there's a learning curve involved in that. So that's why I like the association, man. We're figuring out those best practices and getting people linked up and all that stuff. And it, it's a uh, serving a higher purpose um, to, to get, communities you know flowing safer yeah. more intelligence based which is where policing's heading so for me looking yeah. at the policing side i think it's really cool well you have so much data out there and there's so much to do and there's so many crimes happening and there's so much there's yeah. like detailed things that, that go on right it's how do you become more efficient how do you become you know streamlined that's why we came up with iris because it's just more efficient but but how do you do that with all your programs? How do you be, you know, <clears throat> yes, you know, yes. that's always the, and, you know, so we go to IACA, which is another, it's an analyst conference. Actually, it's in Texas next year, this coming year. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I think it's in, it's in Dallas or that your area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but they always have like a lot of programs and a lot of, Folks, I mean, they have a thousand people normally, I think, at this thing. I think a thousand. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. 
but they have a lot of people there. Um, and then a lot of vendors um, that are showing different different stuff and trainings. I know Esri does like they block off and they do like just tons of training on their on their tools. So it's you gotta learn this stuff. That's yeah. Just the way of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Well, all right, brother. I appreciate you uh, being on, and I I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for your time, and uh, yeah, man, let's looking forward to catching up again in person. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely right. let you know if I make it over there to Florida too. So yeah, man, come on down. Hey, listen, we're we're always open. Hell yeah! All right, bro. All, all right, right, easy. All right, bye.